Hi, this is Sam Garman. And I'm Michael Soto. You're listening to Transform. The podcast where we explore the stories and experiences of folks who are transgender. Beyond the transition. One, two, three, four. What did your mom say? What is your real name? How about those drugs that you take? And does your voice change? How come you don't feel ashamed? What kind of love do you make? But you don't care about my answers. Your questions ignore me. Let me tell you a story. Today's episode is called Ask a Trans Guy. We asked you, our listening audience, to send in your questions about trans folks, and we were thrilled that you sent in a wide range of questions, from questions about terms and definitions, to questions about trans lived experience, to questions about how to better support trans folks. Sam and I will do our best today to answer your questions from our lived experience, and we'll pull from resources and definitions that are generally accepted by the trans community when appropriate. Yeah, absolutely. And we are so thrilled um, at the number of questions that you all have sent to us. Uh, We've gotten so much amazing engagement with you all who are listening, and it's been incredible to have text messages and Facebook messages and um, conversations about what you all are liking about the episodes and wanting more of and curious about. And so thank you so much for engaging, Um, especially thank you for engaging to our global audience. Uh, We have listeners in Ukraine and the UK and France and Australia. And so we're super excited to be able to be sharing stories with you all as well. Um, And I need to take a quick minute to shout out the amazing Michael Soto, who has completed his graduate work as of yesterday and defended his thesis. Um, His work is brilliant and insightful, and so congratulations to you for being done, um, for making it happen um, against, sometimes against all odds, it feels like graduate work happens. (laughs) So congratulations to you, Michael. Uh Um, And you all as a listening audience can feel free to send congratulatory messages to Michael (laughs) as well uh, to let let him know that we are very proud of him. Thank you, Sam. I really appreciate it. And I appreciate you coming to my defense. That was amazing. I just really enjoyed having you there. And your questions were fantastic. um, And it just made my day. So thank you. Uh, We're going to do just a bunch of questions today. Um, So um, hang tight. And if we didn't answer the question that you submitted, or if you're like, oh, I now thought of another question, please feel free to submit them because we'll probably do other episodes or we'll add Ask the Trans Guy segments to other episodes. Our first question What does it mean to be transgender? Well, that's a deep question. (laughs) (laughs) So we've talked a little bit on the show about our experiences of coming out and identifying uh, that we were trans. And so um, in, in a more broad context, to be transgender means to not identify with the gender you were assigned at birth. Um, And there's a specific reason we would use that language. Do you want to broaden that a little bit and talk about why we would use that language? Yeah, so it's really common, I think, in uh, in life to hear people say that transgender people uh, were born as a man or a woman or a boy or a girl, um, which is uh, language that really sort of devalues that person, the transgender person's identity and who they are um, and places sort of society's value on assigning gender over 
an individual's own agency in being able to come out and say, this is who I am. Um, and so really being able to say that, you know, this was the gender that was assigned at birth or uh, some language like that is much more, um, it acknowledges the transgender person's agency. It acknowledges their authentic identity. Um, and um, it's just a very respectful way of both talking talking respectfully about the person in the present um, and talking about their past um, yeah. instead of... Um, we've also talked about in the past uh, that sort of surprise factor that a lot of people feel, right? Or that, mm-hmm. um, that trans people aren't always being honest about who they are. Um, and by saying, you know, this transgender man that I know was born a girl, it sort of feeds into yeah. that, you know, that uh, myth that we as trans people, by being who we are authentically, is not um, honest. Yeah. And I think it also acknowledges this idea of being assigned at birth. It acknowledges that the person who made that assignment, so the doctor who delivered that child, was not in possession necessarily of all of the relevant facts. Yeah. So even with a person who does identify with the gender they were assigned at birth, um, there may be other things that a doctor couldn't see. So it's possible that someone was intersex and didn't have un like it didn't have external characteristics of being intersex. And so by the time they're a teenager, all of a sudden it's like, oh, here is this other thing that we didn't know about you at birth. And so recognizing that a doctor's making a decision without actually all of the relevant facts, um, and that there are a lot of things that are unknown when a child is born. Not the least of which is their actual (laughs) identity and agreement with their identity. Absolutely. So then what it means to be transgender is just to say that the person does not agree with the gender that they were assigned at birth or that does not feel correct to them or doesn't feel relevant to them or that for for whatever reason... um, that doesn't make sense for them. All right, another question. How does someone know that they are transgender? Well, first of all, you have to go to the top of a mountain <laughs> with a goat. No. <laughs> it's a very long and drawn-out process. <laughs> Inaccurate. That yeah. is not true. <laughs> just, I think just like Michael and I have mentioned in the past, um, the just like there's no one way to be trans, there's no one way that someone might know that they're transgender. And so the path is not the same for every person. There's not a like real consistent narrative. I think there are a lot of people who would know when they're children, something didn't fit right, but some people don't, like it doesn't become clear to them until they're adults or that they're in middle school or that they're 60 or 80. I mean, the, the process is really different for everyone. Yeah. Uh, they're just like you said, there's, this can happen. People can identify as transgender at any point in their lives, um, regardless of the circumstances, whether that's age or, uh, relationship status, work status, this, this is just a part of life. And, um, people will be able to, uh, reconcile those feelings and, uh, come out as is needed for them. Yeah. And I think, um, you know, one of the things that is, I think, relatable about this is that I think everyone can acknowledge that there were times in your life where as you were performing your own gender identity, uh, that you were thinking about like, how do, how do I fit? How do I want to present? What feels right for me? So like whether you were in high school and you were like, 
a soccer player and you were female and like trying to figure out like how do I perform jock femininity like how do I walk that balance um when you know especially in middle school for girls trying to figure out like how do I like what do I how do I fit in this feminine space um the you know process of experimenting with makeup or those kind of things like for young men thinking about like am I going to be like a jock kind of guy or am I going to be like a drama kind of guy like what kind of guy am I going to be I think that experience in in that same way trans folks spend time trying to figure out what works for them and what's true for them and I think everyone can relate to that at least a little bit our next question what's the difference between sexual orientation and gender identity um, we are actually going to link to a really cool uh, graphic for this episode um, called the Gender Unicorn that lots of folks who do training and and work around sexual orientation and gender identity have developed because uh, it really does have some, some good information about the differences between gender and gender identity and sexual orientation and gender expression and biology. So we're going to link to that. If, you, if this is a question that interests you, definitely check that out. Um, but... Uh, but we'll also answer it. But I think it's a it's helpful to have a visual. Yes, absolutely. So sexual identity is about um, it can be about romance, it can be about love, it can be about sexual attraction. Um, it can be you know it's it's sort of about like who is it that you want to go to bed with? Yes, that's a euphemism. <laughs> that's a, that is a euphemism. <laughs> Whereas gender identity is who you go to bed as. So it's the, there's a difference. There's sort of a fundamental difference there. Um, and I think that that helps clarify, even though it's like, it's kind of pithy, um, but you know, pithiness sometimes is useful for clarifying such things. How is gender identity different than just gender? So gender is a social construction, first and foremost. Uh, gender is the many ways that our, our society assigns value to behavior to appearance um, and to the ways that we exist in the world that our society calls gendered, right? Mm -hmm. So it can be things like hair, it can be clothing, uh, it can be muscle mass, it can be all sorts of different things. Gender identity um, is essentially the way that each of us as individuals expresses how we feel about our own gender, um, who we are. And that often uses these different social constructions as uh, cues, right? So yeah, the way that we wear our hair, the way that we wear our clothes, the types of clothing we wear, uh, the way we walk, all of those sorts of things we can use to express our gender identity to other people. Um, but the most important thing I think is that everyone has gender identity. Uh, whether you're transgender, whether you're cisgender, there in some way you are identifying uh, for yourself your gender and then sharing that with the world through the way that you express yourself, uh, behave in the world. Yeah. And transgender is actually not a gender right right so you can be a transgender man which would be a gender or you can be a transgender woman which yes. would be a gender but being transgender is not actually its own gender right. which is another sort of complex structure um, but i think when we talk about gender being a social construct um, it's easy to think like oh that that sounds very academic um, like oh i could just dismiss that because that sounds very academic but the reality is that we in our society literally gender everything yes all of the things are gendered and and it's really unfortunate that we do that because then it locks people into a specific way of being in the world and so um that's that's why we talk about that being 
important because you know even things like food can be gendered uh-huh. like when you go to a restaurant who orders a steak absolutely <laughs> and who orders a salad yep and so like those gendered those gendered experiences then define sort of how what our gender identity must be uh-huh. based on our that social construct Building off of that, Sam, you and I on Facebook uh, were interacting uh, with some of my relatives, actually, around uh, <laughs> an article that I posted um, that was critiquing gender reveal parties, right, for, for babies yeah. um, that are yet to be born. Um, and I thought you had brought up some really good points as a parent of three little boys um, about the way that everything is gendered for their experience mm-hmm. and that as a parent, you have to be really thoughtful about um, how to construct a way for them to play, to exist in the world um, that gives them permission to explore that in a safe way, however they need to explore it. Would you mind kind of talking about that a little bit? Yeah, um, I think as a, as a parent, um, one, of the, one of the things we wanted to do as parents was to, was to allow our boys to engage in the world with their toys in whatever way was right for them. Um, and so from the very beginning, um, my especially their mom their mom is their mom owns a lot of the credit for this she like went to the ends of the earth to find black baby dolls because my boys are also black and so like those kind of things to like what is it that we can have in the house that mirrors them and their identity and allows them to be expressive and i think about the ways in which like we when you go to a baby shower for a boy the standard is that you're going to buy them a blue truck Right. Like that's the, that's the setup, right? That's like the safest gift, right? Uh-huh. But, and then we expect that boys will use those trucks and bash them into one another um, and that they won't play with dolls and that they won't engage in these, what we would term as girl behaviors that would be like playing house and acting paternal towards their dolls and, you know, creating, you know, structures where they like have little scenes that they play out. And so, but then when men are in their mid-20s, they, if they start dating women, the women complain like, but they can't have any emotional conversations. And, you know, he's a parent now, but why isn't he engaging as a parent? Like, why doesn't he hold the baby? Why is, like, why is he so scared of being a dad? It's like, well, we actually set that up because we only bought him trucks and we didn't let him play with dolls. So our boys have baby dolls and baby carriages. Um, shout out to their grandma who has like who bought these adorable little baby carriages for their dolls. And as often as there are babies in them, there are trucks in them, and they like those two things sometimes go together. Um, they'll run around their house and their Anna and Elsa dresses with their fireman hat on, um, you know, because Amazing. that is just how they roll. And so it allows them to express that and be expansive. And, you know, our five-year-old came home the other day and said, pink is a girl color. And I <laughs> I had this immediate reaction where I was like, I did not teach you that. <laughs> um, and, you know, that's a, that's a powerful message he'll get from other places. Uh-huh. Um, but we want in our house to be a safe place where he gets to explore whatever side of him exists. And it doesn't have to be like, oh, now you're exploring your girly side or your feminine side. It's like, no, you're exploring your full personhood. Yes. If who you are as a full person is a person who likes to run around in an Elsa dress and an astronaut helmet and, you know, a sword, then that is who you are. And you get to be that guy.
Have transgender people always existed, or is this a new thing? That's a good question, and a really common one in my experience. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm So there's evidence of transgender people existing from ancient times to modern times in pretty much every society that has existed. Um, What is different is the way that societies define gender as a social construction, right? The rules and regulations sort of as different societies have around gender identity. Um, So that's something that we see a lot of variation in from uh, Eastern and Western cultures, from indigenous cultures, from colonized cultures, all of that very different uh, ways of creating these systems of gender and how people are supposed to uh, behave within them. Um, But yes, people that... Uh, don't fit within those norms have always existed in human society. Yeah. And I think it's um, one, I think the reason people ask this question is because suddenly it seems like there are transgender people everywhere, right? There are transgender people on the news. There are transgender people on the cover of Vanity Fair. Like this is something that is more visible now. Right. Um, and then what happens is that when there's more visibility, then suddenly there are there seem to be more trans people coming out. So mm-hmm. when there's a lot more visibility, suddenly there are more kids saying they're trans. And sometimes that can feel really scary. And I think a lot of times how that gets attributed is that now kids are doing this new thing because they think it's cool. Mm-hmm. And I just want to challenge that narrative yes. because you know, you've know you heard both Michael and I's stories. We recognized when we were really young that there was something about us that was different. And had we had the words, we could have come out. Right. So the reality is that it's not that there are transgender people in the news and in the media, and so now kids are coming out because they think it's cool. Instead, it's that there are transgender people in the news and the media, and kids who already knew there was something about them that was different have a word that they can say out loud and sometimes are even getting support from their parents around that. Right. And I think about what would have happened for me had that been available to me and my life would have been potentially very, very different. Yeah. Uh, I think that just speaks to the power of representation. When we can see people that we can identify with in any form of media, we're able to imagine that existence for ourselves beyond our, you know, the current limitations of uh, our existence. And for trans people, that's often the current limitations of not being able to articulate who Mm -hmm. you are um, in a way that feels safe, um, that, Uh, to your family, to your friends, or uh, to society at large, right? Yeah. Well, and imagine, you know, I think about um, the stunningly high suicide rate amongst transgender, um, you know, teenagers and young adults, and thinking about how different that could be if you could see somebody who was on the other side and Mm -hmm. that it had come out okay. I mean, in some ways, this calls back to this idea of the It Gets Better project, where you see someone who is doing okay, and that that future is potentially possible for you and so like i imagine a young trans woman of color looking at laverne cox sitting on a beautiful interview set and being interviewed by one of the greatest interviewers of all time and and being able to fully own her experience and her identity and her femininity Uh like how powerful would that be a message of it is possible to have a body that works for me and a life that works for me and to be accepted in society and like that the potential for that is pretty huge um and so that is that's why representation matters it's Uh why you know it's it's why kids need to see adults who are doing okay and who also identify as being trans 
Yeah, and that's something we can also do historically as well, right? We can look back at at our history and uh, give credit to the to our ancestors who were mm-hmm. there at Compton's Cafeteria, at Stonewall, mm-hmm. who helped lead and create this movement um, and created a path so that um, society, you know, thought of gender in a in an evolving way um, that really made it possible for people like you and I, Sam, to come out. Um, and hopefully we're contributing our part to make it even easier um, for younger people to come out. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that that would be the goal, yes. right? So this question is from Phil. Hi, Dad. Thanks for submitting a question. <laughs> what is the simple, most effective way to communicate the definition of being transgender without shutting down the individual asking to be informed? So this is a really great question. I think that sometimes um, there are there are people who just don't understand and don't mm-hmm. have any context. Um, and sometimes when you... Like when you're trying to think about a concept that's so big and so new and so outside of your experience, it's hard to get your mind around it. Right. Um, and I think it's tempting to say, so um, Philip, I happen to know that you're a cisgender man. That's what you told us in your question. And so um, it would be tempting to say, like, imagine that you're a woman and how would it feel if you knew you were a woman, but everyone else was telling you were a man? And I think that's really hard to imagine if you've never felt that way. Uh So instead, I'd like to flip it and say, um, imagine that you feel exactly as you do now um, and that you are really comfortable with your identity as a man and that feels really true for you, but the entire world is calling you Phyllis and only using female pronouns for you. Uh That would have you looking around and going like, why won't you believe me? I know how I feel. I know what's true about me. How come you can't see what I can see about myself? Um, And it would feel really isolating and really hard to get your mind around. Um, And so that is, that's something when I'm talking to people about being trans, I generally use that example and that that experience. Um, And I have found that people relate to that in a different way because they can say like, oh yeah, when I think about myself, I feel really comfortable with my gender. Mm -hmm. Like I, you know, the the gender that was assigned for me at birth does feel right and comfortable for me. And I've navigated the world in a way that feels safe and right for me. So that's, that's one thing I would suggest is um, allowing people to think about what that might feel like. Right. I think another component of this is really cultivating empathy. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, in my work, in my professional work, I do uh, a lot of work talking about creating more equitable systems for marginalized people. And the entry point that I like to create um, is opening up ways for people that have more privilege, um, you know, to, to actually cultivate their empathy, um, through hearing the experiences of people who are trans or queer or people of color or immigrants, um, in a way that allows everyone's human dignity to be seen, honored and respected, Mm -hmm. um, and allows that relationship to start to form so that, that feeling of mutual empathy, right, can can begin. Um, if we can if we can base all of this in sort of that world of um, empathy and human relationships, I think it advances the conversation beyond initial sort of defenses or around feeling like um, you don't understand technically what the words mean or you don't understand something about that experience. And so the first reaction is to say, so now I don't, I don't want to know anything about it because I'm afraid of it. Right. Or mm-hmm. I feel bad not knowing or whatever those feelings are. If we can focus on empathy and making those human connections, um, it's a, just a really effective way to kind of 
get past that those initial difficult reactions um, and really begin to build together. Yeah, and I think that um, one of the things that that happens is when folks don't know anyone who's trans or never who or like or have never experienced that from someone else's lens, um, it can be really hard to think about like what would that feel like, what would that be like, mm-hmm. and I know that when I came out. I had a lot of people in my life who had never spent significant amount of people with a, a significant amount of time with a trans person before, right. or who might have like not known that they knew a trans person at all. Right. And so then I was their first entrance to that. Um, and a lot of times it was like, I don't totally know how to understand, but as they saw me transition and sort of walked that path with me, it was like, oh, this is sort of like you're the same person you've always been. This is like totally not weird spending time with you, even though I kind of assumed that it would be. Mm-hmm. Like I thought you were going to change a whole lot and you really, you know, you changed some, but not a whole lot. So sometimes it's about like understanding that, you know, understanding someone else's experience, the empathy thing, or knowing someone who's who's trans. And I think, I think that's part of why we're doing this podcast yes. is it feels like an opportunity you know, I hope that when people sit and listen to this podcast, whether they're driving in their car or whatever, that they in some ways feel like they're in a conversation with us. That like, you're here in the studio with us. You might be able to hear FDR snore a little bit. Um, <laughs> he will come over and want you to pet him, he's, but he's very lovely, so that's fine. But like, that you're getting to know us and hearing our experiences mm-hmm. and that, that that creates a human connection. Absolutely. Okay, so our next question is from someone who prefers to be anonymous. And the question is, what do I do when my partner's family misgenders and uses their birth name on purpose to be rude? Is violence okay? So we understand the, um, the anger, the hurt, the pain that you're feeling and that, uh, that comes from this situation when your partner's not being gendered correctly, not being treated with the respect and dignity that they deserve. So we want to acknowledge that um, and say that we understand that and we relate to it. Uh, We also want to encourage you to think about different ways to address this other than violence. Violence has a disproportionate effect on marginalized people, including transgender people and queer people. Um, And anything that is going to put you and your partner um, at risk to be harmed more, we want to encourage you to stay away from um, and often you know, calling the police, getting, you know, state sort of involvement uh, in a situation because of violence, it's just going to make you and your partner more vulnerable. So um, that's first what we want to encourage you to, while while we hear your frustration and your pain, um, there are other ways that you can go about addressing this that are not violent. So I think the first thing that I would suggest, um, and one thing that my, um, my former partner was really amazing at, um, is she was um, really incredible when I first um, came out and was utilizing a new name and new pronouns. For everyone around me, she was the, um, she was like aggressive in her use of my name and pronouns. In every sentence, she put my name and pronouns in there like seven times. Wow. It was and it was like you will learn you you are going to learn today what these name and pronouns are well done and it was like sam would you like a sandwich i'm going to make a sandwich sam sam <laughs> sam 
Sam needs a sandwich. I'm just going to make this Sam sandwich for Sam. Um, it was very um, – and it was intentional on her part to right. say, like, I will be a defender of you. And right. part of it was that even if the other people in the room didn't get it or didn't catch on, there was a – like, there was a, a place there where it was like, I know that you are safe and supportive and doing something to be helpful to me. That's amazing. Another option is to directly and immediately correct your partner's family members when they intentionally misgender your partner. Before doing this, it's probably a good idea to check in with your partner about the strategy to make sure that you're both on the same page and agree that you directly correcting a family member would make your partner feel supported and would be useful in the moment. Yeah. The other thing is I think in our society especially there is – a lot of times strong backlash against people who don't have relationships with their family. Um, and I just would encourage you that um, this is a this is a choice that your partner can make. Your partner can make a choice to not be in relationship with people that are toxic to them. Yes. Like we do not owe anyone our relationship or our loyalty when they're not treating us with dignity and respect. And to misgender someone intentionally is not treating someone with dignity and respect Uh and that's an unsafe situation emotionally and so your partner can choose um to to not be in relationship with them to not see them to not go for you know thanksgiving or christmas or hanukkah or whatever you celebrate like those are choices that are open to them that are oftentimes that feels like sometimes i've heard that i've heard someone say like oh that's the nuclear option and like and i just don't think that it is the reality is that we can make choices about the people that we're going to be in relationship with, um, and and this sounds to me like a situation that is that is not emotionally safe. Yes. Um, and so I would I would I would say you know please consider that as a potential option for for your emotional and physical safety. Right. You can also make that choice uh, to cut toxic people and family members out of your life um, for a period of time. It doesn't have to be forever, right? And that is something that you can to say to those family members. You know, right now, you're you're not uh, respecting my transi- my transition and my gender identity, and so I need to take some space and time until you're in a place where you're ready to use the correct name and pronouns um, and and to interact with me in a way that feels respectful again. Yeah. Our next question is: What is it like relating to cis hetero men? And how do they relate to you? Um, this one, I I realize that I don't have a lot of cis hetero men in my life. Um, partly from having been in the queer community for so many years, um, there are there are some, and I tend to um, I tend to be pretty selective about the cis hetero men that I hang out with, um, and so the the guys that I do have in my life, most of them. Um, knew me before transition and so they were um there you know at the beginning there was always a little bit like i don't totally know how to relate to you huh. like as sam like as i was transitioning people were kind of like finding their footing right. um and now i think it's it's just like another person just another one of the guys mm-hmm. um i don't I don't really hang out with people who would say deeply misogynist things or those kind of things. So like I haven't experienced a lot of the locker room talk from the people that I spend a lot of time with, although I have experienced some of that actually in the locker room um, where I try to not be very often, (laughs) if Mm -hmm. at all possible. (laughs) For me, the 
cis-hetero men in my life, uh, just like everyone else in my life. Um, I sort of choose to have people in my life who um, affirm and like who or who align with my values in a lot of ways. So similar to you, Sam, like I don't have a lot of cis-hetero men in my life that would say misogynistic things or uh, homophobic things or transphobic things. Um, the cis-hetero men in my life are deeply thoughtful men, um, you know, men that are involved in incredible community work and just um, just kind of all-around wonderful human beings. So I think I think of them as uh, pretty much any other person in my life, that they're just a wonderful person that I get to, I'm fortunate enough to get to know and um, interact with on a, a regular basis. Um, I do have some family members that maybe kind of fall into the toxic cis hetero guy thing. Um, but I've chosen to not engage with those people, um, just because they're not safe. Yeah. Yeah. Our next question, does your sexual orientation change when you become trans? Like if you were a gay female and you are now a male, are you a straight male? And when you're seeking a partner, do you seek out other trans people or are you looking for a straight person who is comfortable dating someone who is trans? All right. That's a great question. And it's a question that I, um, I get asked a lot. I'm guessing Mm -hmm. you get asked a lot. Yes. Um, and really anyone who, um, anyone who (laughs) tells people that I'm trans because of, you know, because they've had permission to do so right. pretty much gets asked this question, but like, well, but now who does he date? Yeah. Um, <laughs> that, that actually does tend to be the like immediate question. It's, <laughs> it's the, it's the next like, okay, wait, wait, I, okay. So I'm shifting that category, but like, how else do I categorize this person? Right. right. Um, like I just gonna, I'm going to need to check all the boxes and figure out how this person identifies and who they date. Exactly. Um, I mean, just in case you, they, someone wants to set you up, they have to know. Yeah. They, I mean, which, how would they perform matchmaking services? And I, that is why most people are asking, right, to perform those matchmaking services. Although not many people are coming through on that for me. So yeah. let's go, folks. Come on. <laughs> oh, gosh. That was a joke. <laughs> not actually asking for matchmaking services. Okay. Uh, well, um, <laughs> so you can hit us up at transformpod at gmail.com. Uh, with folks from Michael today. Oh, no. please don't. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Because this is a question we've got a lot, I think okay. that uh, it's useful to sort of unpack it and think it through. So um, like we talked about, the you know gender identity is who you go to bed as. Right. Sexual orientation is who you go to bed with. And so the, it's a question of attraction, et cetera. And so mm-hmm. this is not true for everyone, Um but I will say for me, I was attracted to women before I transitioned. I remain attracted to women. Um, I still identify as being queer mm-hmm. because um, being part of the queer community is important to me. And mm-hmm. as a transgender man, I do feel like uh, that is a that is an important part of my identity and my life is the queer community. Right. Um, and I also identify as queer because I recognize that any relationship that I have is going to be um, – outside of the normal binary, Uh, right? This, uh it is not, you know, it's not a cisgender man and a woman. And so for me, the identity of queer feels right um, because it feels like um, that just, that feels most correct for me. So I still identify as queer, um, but I would date women. Um, And so in in looking for a woman, um, I would be looking for someone who was enthusiastically consenting to have a relationship with me. Um, (laughs) So I'm not like necessarily looking for 
uh, you know, it wouldn't be like, oh, I'm only looking for another lesbian or, oh, I'm looking for right. a straight person or a bisexual person. Like I, that would, the, the question would be much more broad. Like, hey, do we have chemistry? Do, do you want to be in a relationship with me? That's the person I would be looking to date. So my own experience with sexual orientation has been flexible. Before transitioning, I only dated women. I didn't consider dating men, not because I didn't find men attractive, but out of resistance to the expectations of my family and my religion. After transition, I found that it was most comfortable for me to identify as queer, as I'm attracted to people because of who they are and not because of their gender. I date and have sex with people with whom I am attracted to and have a connection with, as long as both of us enthusiastically and continuously consent to that relationship. Just like there's no one way to be trans, there's also no one way to be trans and have a sexual orientation. So there are as many different ways to do that as there are trans people. Um, we're all going to have a different journey to it, and that's just how it works. Yeah. And then I think the other flip side of that question that I often also get asked is like, so if someone was dating you and before they identified as a lesbian, mm -hmm. but now they're dating you as a man, like mm -hmm. what happens to their gender identity or what happens to their sexual orientation? Right. Um, and the actual answer to that is nothing happens to their sexual orientation. Yes. So how we identify in our sexual orientation is not actually changed by who we have sex with. Exactly. So someone could claim like, whatever sexual orientation and identity around that that they wanted to right. and then have and then have relationships with whatever other set of people they wanted to and mm -hmm. so um this is this is a question that happens a lot especially for you know for trans men who identified as lesbians and then their partner was a lesbian a lot of times when they transition then people are like but is she still a lesbian like what is happening here right. and that's a that's a question what happens is that you know the partner sort of has to go through their own journey around mm -hmm. what will, you know, what, what, how they identify and what happens for them and, and what their relationship looks like. Um, and that journey is really personal and it's literally as, it's as varied as there are relationships. Right. And so you can't really say like, oh, this is what that means. Like if X person is now sleeping with a man, X person is no longer a lesbian. Like that's actually not true because right. I don't get to say what's true for anybody else's identity ever yes um and so you know that's a that's an important thing to think about in this conversation as well absolutely um and just one more note you know sexual orientation is a, a something that a lot of us experience as something that's fluid and changes throughout mm -hmm. our lifetimes yeah um and that's true just as much for trans people as it is cisgender people who have that experience where their sexual orientation can evolve and grow and change over time um and there's that's just a another part of human experience that um is valuable and something that, you know, to embrace and go with. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for sending your questions. We really enjoyed reading them, thinking about them, uh, and recording this podcast, uh, answering them. We hope that they were helpful. So our goal is to um, help you. So if there are other questions that you have or things that you're curious about or want to you know have us answer or do more research into, uh, we would be happy to do that. So please send us uh, send us your questions, send us your comments, um, things that you'd like us to cover, topics. Um, and again, thank you all so much for your amazing feedback. We have been loving doing this podcast yes. and we're thrilled to get to share it with you. Thanks for listening. Make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss out on a single new episode. Our music is by Skylar Kurgle. Check him out at skylarkurgle.com where you can see what he's up to and link to all his social media. 
We want to hear from you. You can connect with us on transformpod.com or on Facebook at transformpod. We appreciate all your questions and feedback, so please email us at transformpod at gmail.com. We really encourage your thoughtful and positive feedback. If you disagree with us, that's fine, but we will not engage in any name-calling or dehumanizing talk, so please just don't do it. Thanks for going beyond the transition with us. Please tell me a story.